Well, turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, we're continuing, of course, our study of the Gospel of Luke. And Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man. He is the Savior, the substitute, and the sacrifice for the sins of mankind. And we're seeing the early days of the life of Jesus Christ while he's on this earth. And last time we saw the eighth day after his birth, and then we went forward just a little bit to the 40th day after his birth. These two special days, the day that he was circumcised and named was the eighth day, and then the day that he was presented to God was on the 40th day. Last time we met this man, as an older man, his name was Simeon. And we saw what he said about Jesus. very powerful. He said that Jesus was the Savior, that he was the light of the Gentiles, and the glory of Israel. Well, this morning we're continuing. We're at the same time. We're going to see that the same event is still going on. We're going to meet another person this morning. We're going to meet a woman, a prophetess. Her name is Anna. What does she say? And what does she do? As we look at this passage, not only will we see this event, but we're going to go forward into the future a little bit uh, for 12 years. And we're going to see Jesus when he was 12 years old. It's a very special event. In fact, it's the really the only time in the whole scripture in which you see what Jesus' boyhood was like. And we'll look at that as we go through it. So this morning, two main events, two things we'll look at. We'll see Anna in the temple where she speaks about Jesus. And then we see Jesus in the temple when he's 12 years old. So as we study God's Word today, we want to see our Savior and that we want to continue to grow in our study of God's Word. Well, you know the term incarnation. What does that mean? Well, truth, the incarnation is when God became a man. It's when Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem, when the perfect God left the glories of heaven and became a human being, became a person. John 1.14 says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus Christ is the God-man. He's perfect God. He's perfect man. We realize that the baby that we're seeing in this passage, in fact, if you're in Luke chapter 2 and you think about, okay, there's a little picture of the baby Jesus, that baby is God. He is God in the flesh. Have you ever wondered what he thought. What did he think? What did he know? What was it like to be God and man at the same time? Or what is it like to be God and man at the same time? Did he ever fall down? Did he ever make a mistake? Now, we know he never sinned. What was his childhood like? There's some stories. There's some books written that are called pseudepigrapher, which means false writings. And there's some writings that were written in the 2nd and 3rd century. One of them says that when Jesus was a little boy, he took some clay, formed it into a bird, then made it come alive and fly away. Well, I, don't, I don't hold to that because, for number one, it's not in the Bible. Number two, John tells us that the very first miracle that Jesus did was to change the water to wine at the Cana of Galilee at that wedding. So what were his early days like? What was it like when he was growing up? The Bible is silent except for our passage this morning, beginning really about verse 41. Now, we're going to go back to verse 36 where we're looking, but beginning at verse 41, we're going to see the only glimpse of Jesus when he was a boy. He's at the temple. He's talking with the teachers. What happens? Well, there's a lot this morning as we look at our passage when Jesus was 12. Let me remind you what's going on. In the first 20 verses of Luke chapter 2, we saw the birth of Jesus. This is very famous. We saw Mary and Joseph, and they went to Bethlehem, and the baby was born, and the angels came to the shepherds. They said, good news, great joy to all people, and born this day in the city of David is a Savior. Well, this morning, two events stand out. We're going to see Jesus in the temple. Age, he's 40 days old, and we're going to meet this woman named Anna. And then we're going to see Jesus in the temple when he's 12 years old, and we'll see what happens then. Last time, 
we saw that Jesus on the 40th day was brought to the temple. Let me remind you of something. When a woman had a baby, if she had a boy baby, for the first seven days she was considered unclean. On the eighth day, they took the boy to the temple. He was circumcised, and they named him. After those first seven days, they then counted 33 more days. So on the 40th day, they then took the baby back to the temple and dedicated him to the Lord. Basically what they did is they gave him to the Lord, they paid five shekels, and got the baby back. That's firstborn sons. That's what they did. And so this is what they're doing. And that day, as they came into the temple with the baby Jesus to present him to God, a man by the name of Simeon, an older man, had been told by the Holy Spirit, had been revealed to him, he would not die until he saw the Messiah. And so that morning when it says he woke up, he was in the spirit. He came into the temple. The Holy Spirit's leading him, and he sees Mary and Joseph, and he goes over there and says, let me hold the baby. And you can see Mary going, I don't know this right here. That's what the baby did as soon as they hand him over there and cried. And so he held that baby, and what did he say? He said, Lord, I can now die. I have seen your salvation. And then he said, because this baby is the light to the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. Now you can see Mary standing there and Joseph and they're seeing this man holding this baby. And he's announcing it to all these people who are gathered around. You can see this baby is the light. He's the Savior. He is the glory of the nation of Israel. And that's what, that's where we ended last week. It was incredible because he made that great statement. In fact, I think I've got it right there. His light to the Gentiles, the glory of the nation of Israel. Now, while he's doing that, there's this older woman who is a prophetess, and at just exactly the right time, she comes up, she sees this, she's going to come up, and she's going to start talking about Jesus. What does she say? Well, we'll see that. But as we get started, Luke gives us some background on this woman. Look at verse 36 and verse 37. We get some background on who, what she, who she is. It says, There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. Now, we get a little background about this woman. She's a prophetess. That means, same as it's a female prophet, she got the word of God. See, a prophet, sometimes God would give direct revelation and they would say, thus says the Lord. She's a prophetess. Apparently in the past, God has given her direct revelation and, and he's fixing to give her some today because she's going to say something about Jesus. Now, it says she was advanced in years. The best that we can tell, she was from the tribe of Asher. She, uh, she had been married and after being married for seven years, her husband died. And then it says, my, I'm reading New American Standard. It says, and then as a widow to the age of 84. Now, I want you to understand that this is the way the New American Standard translates it. NIV may translate a little bit differently. The original Greek, it's very unclear whether she was married and then she's been, after her, the death of her husband, she's been in the temple for 84 years or she's only 84 years old. You can't tell. So either she was married husband, and lived with her husband and, and for seven years, then he died and now she's 84 and she's been in the temple all this time or she was married, and so she was married at 16, lived with her husband till she was 23, then he died, and now 84 years have passed. That would put her close to over 100. So either she's over 100 or she's at least 84. You can't tell exactly where the original language is written, but the New American Standard says she's been a widow for up to the age of 84. But notice what it says. She never left the temple. 
serving night and day with fastings and prayers. You remember the temple proper was big, and there was a wall going all the way around it. And once you went in through the first wall, there were these courtyards, and then there was the temple where the altar was, and then the holy place and the holy of holies, and it was a big, it was a building. Well, there were rooms all the way around that temple, and the best we can tell is she lived there. She probably came there after her husband died and said, I would just like to live here and pray and fast and help the priest and do anything. And they let her. And so for a long time, maybe as long as she up to either 84 years old or for 84 years, she's been there doing that. It said she never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. She's a faithful woman. She's waiting for the Savior. We'll see it in just a minute. Now watch what happened. At the very moment she came up, at that very moment she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of Him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. At what very moment? At the very moment that Simeon was holding Jesus saying, He's the Savior of the world. He's the light of the Gentiles. He's the glory of Israel. At that moment, this older woman comes in And goes right up and says, thank you, God. Thank you for the Savior. Because that's what it says. It says she gave praise to God. She comes up at exactly the right time. God put her there. Notice what it says. At the very moment she came up and began giving thanks to God. And she continued to speak of him. She was talking about Jesus to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. To all those who were waiting for the Messiah. Now I want you to notice something. God put her there at exactly the right time. In the same way that Simeon showed up that day. Right time, right day to see Jesus. Anna showed up at exactly the right time, right day. God is not going to let her miss the Messiah. He's not going to let her miss it. Now, I want you to understand something. God's not going to let you miss anything either. He is working in your life. He loves you beyond what you could imagine. He's working all things according to the counsel of His will. And some people go through life and they're so afraid they're going to miss the right one to marry. They're going to miss the right job. They're going to miss the special opportunity. I want you to understand something. You're not going to miss anything. God loves you beyond what you can imagine, and you're not going to miss the things that He has for you. And if you think you missed something, that wasn't for you, or He would have had you had it. And there's some people that say, oh, I just hope I don't miss my, you know, my husband. I hope I don't miss my, my wife. I, I mean, she might be right there and I just miss her. You're not going to miss her. Just remember that. God, you can trust Him. He's working all things. He didn't let Simeon miss anything. He didn't let Anna miss anything. He's not going to let you miss anything. So be faithful, serve him, he's not going to let you miss anything. So Anna is not going to miss the Messiah, not going to miss the one she's been praying for. So what does she do when she gets there? At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God. She's giving thanks. She said, thank you, Lord, I see the Savior, I see the Redeemer of Israel. We'll talk about it in just a second. She says, I see the baby, I see the one. She gave thanks to God. Let me ask you something. She saw the Savior and she was thankful. We all know the Savior. I hope and pray that every one of you in this room, you have believed in Jesus Christ. You have trusted in Him as your Savior. Do we give thanks to God? We ought to wake up every day and say, Thank you, Lord, for letting me get up, and thank you for saving me. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that I have eternal life because of Jesus Christ. 
Well, she began to tell people, look what it says. She was giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. The redemption of Jerusalem means they were looking for the Savior. They were looking for the one who's going to redeem Israel. They were looking for the Redeemer. And Jesus Christ is the Redeemer. He is the uh, one who pays the penalty of sin. To redeem means to purchase by paying a price. Every one of us in this room, you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. First Peter 1 Peter 1.18 and 19 says, We're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Every one of us in this room who know Christ, we're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That's why it's called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This particular word for redemption means to be bought and set free. And that's what he did. He bought you and he set you free so you can serve him. That's what she's praising God for. And she's telling anybody that would listen to her. You know, it's so amazing. That day, here's this young couple with this baby boy and this man named Simeon that people respected says, there's the Savior. And then this woman who had been there for years and years and years comes up and says, there he is. Thank you, God. I praise your name for the Messiah, for the Redeemer of Israel. Wow. Two people on a special day declaring Jesus as the Savior and Jesus as the Redeemer. Simeon says he's the light to the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. And Anna says that he is the Redeemer. Now, I want you to notice. Look look what the next verse says. It says, When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city of Nazareth. Well, I want you to understand that Luke doesn't tell us everything. In fact, you can't tell this, but between verse 38 and verse 39, there is a gap of about two years. What happened in between there? I don't want you to turn there because I'm just going to tell you what happened, but it's found in Matthew chapter 2. Now, let me tell you what happened. Before they went back to Nazareth, here they are. Just think about it. They've had the baby Jesus. He's 40 days old, and they decide since it took probably all of the money that they had to come down there. And when they gave the sacrifice for Jesus, it was the least expensive. It was the most inexpensive thing you could give. It was two little doves. And so they don't have any money. And the best that we can tell is Joseph and Mary decided to stay in Bethlehem. And he took up, probably started being a carpenter in Bethlehem. And they stayed there. And about two years passed. And then, suddenly... This caravan came from the east. A large group coming in there with some people called the Magi, the wise men. And they came into Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 2 that when they entered the city, the whole city was in uproar because they were announcing. They said, where is he that has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and we've come to worship him. Whole city's in an uproar. The word gets back to Herod, who is the ruler over that part of the world, been appointed by the Romans. He called himself Herod the Great. That makes you know what he thought of himself. And so he thought he was ruling over the Jews. And so these wise men come in saying, we're looking for the one born king of the Jews. And he says, what do you mean born king of the Jews? I'm king of the Jews. So he called in the religious leaders and he said, tell me about this king of the Jews. And the religious leaders looked it up. And they said in, in, in uh, Malachi and in uh, these other verses, in Micah chapter 5, it says he'll be born in Bethlehem. And so he turned back to these wise men. He said, okay, look, the best we got, he's supposed to be in Bethlehem. Why don't you go down there and find him? And when you find him, let me know because I would like to worship him also. That was a lie. 
He wanted to kill him. So he sent the wise men down to Bethlehem. They made the six to eight mile trip. It says the star came back out. When they got there, they went to a house. And the little boy, the child, he was about two years old when they got there. And when they got there, they saw him. They came into Mary and Joseph. And they brought, this big caravan comes in. And they brought gold. That's real expensive. Frankincense, real expensive. Myrrh, real expensive. This poor couple suddenly is very wealthy. Here, we're giving all this to the baby, to the young child, to this little two-year-old boy running around. And they say, look over here, Jesus. There's some gold, frankincense, and myrrh for you. <laughs> you got to put yourself there. What do you think he did? <laughs> Walking away, you know. <laughs> Who knows? Now, you remember what God did. They were supposed to go back and tell Herod where he was, but an angel warned them and said, don't go back, get go some other way, and don't ever go back to Herod. So they left. And then an angel came in a dream to Joseph and said, get out of town, because Herod's going to try to kill all the boy babies. And so Jesus, Joseph and Mary took Jesus, and how are they going to get out of town? Where are they going to get the money? They're going to go to Egypt. They're going to stay in Egypt for two, two and a half, three years. How are they going to get the money to do that? Well, they got the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. Why did God allow the wise men to bring those presents of such wealth to that couple so they could live outside of Israel as long as Herod was alive? See, they left. Herod got so mad, he sent word in there, and they killed every boy baby in that region, two years old and under, about the time they first saw the star. After he killed all the boy babies, Herod lived another two to three years And when he died, an angel in the dream came to Joseph and said, Go back to Israel. Herod is dead. When they got back, they decided they would go to Bethlehem. When they got to Bethlehem, Herod's son by the name of Archelaus was ruling. Archelaus was evil. They knew that. They said, We don't want to live here where Archelaus is ruling. Let's go back to Nazareth. And they made the trip all the way back up to Nazareth and that's where we take it up in verse 39 when it says when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord they returned to Galilee to the northern part of Israel to their own city of Nazareth so Luke doesn't tell us that but if you want to get the details turn to Matthew chapter 2 not now but some other time and look at it and see what it says now watch this verse 40 we get a summary the child notice not a baby the child continued to grow And become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So there's a statement about Jesus. When they got back to Nazareth, he continued to grow up, and the grace of God was upon him. See, he's the beloved son of God. He's the God-man. He's the seed of woman. He's the seed of Abraham. He's the son of David. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the uh, way and the truth and the life. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and the grace of God is upon him. Have you ever thought about what was it like to be Jesus at two years old, four years old, six, seven, eight, nine? What was it like? We're going to see in just a minute. Notice the verse that says, and the grace of God was upon him. That's the end of verse 40. God dealt with him in grace. And you know that it's true for us. God deals with us in grace. Every aspect of your life is based on the grace of God. Your salvation, by grace, you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's the grace of God. You have eternal life by faith in Jesus. The Christian life, Titus chapter 2, verse 12 says, The grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and live righteously and godly in this present age. We live the Christian life by the grace of God. 
Even the future, as that passage goes to say, we look for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. It's all the grace of God. So may we be thankful to God for the Savior and thankful to God for His grace in our lives. Well, let's move on. Now, between basically verse 40 and 41, 12 years. Well, Jesus is going to be 12 years old. Maybe we're not sure exactly uh, how long they stayed in Egypt. Probably Jesus was maybe three, four, five years old when they came back. So now he's 12. Notice verse 41. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. Now, I want you to understand something. It's showing us the faithfulness of Mary and Joseph. They went to Jerusalem every year for the Passover. Deuteronomy 16.16 had a requirement that every male, every man, was to go to Jerusalem three times a year. He was to go at Passover or at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, same thing. He was to come back at a different time at a a, a feast called Pentecost, and then he was to come back at another feast called Tabernacles. He was supposed to make three trips a year to Jerusalem. Now, for a lot of people, if you lived in the northern part of Israel, if you were poor, a lot of people didn't do it. They just said, I can't afford to go to Jerusalem three times. We see that Joseph and Mary, for sure, look what it says, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. So they made it a point that at least once a year they went down to Jerusalem. Now, if you remember the Passover, the Passover was a great celebration. It happened on the 14th day of the first month. The first month was Nisan, which corresponds to our March and April. That's why Easter, Passover, all of that takes place in the spring. And they would come down on the 14th day of the month. They would leave. They would come down to Jerusalem. They would celebrate the Passover. They'd eat the Passover meal in Jerusalem. And then they'd go back. Now, at at that feast, there were three feasts that tied together. Passover on the 14th day of the first month. The 15th of the 21st was a feast called Unleavened Bread. And then the Sunday in that week was called First Fruits. So if you were Jewish and you went to Jerusalem for Passover, you had three feasts at one time. Passover, Unleavened Bread, and First Fruits. And then you'd go back home. It says here that Joseph and Mary went every year at the feast of the Passover. Then notice verse 42. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. When Jesus was 12 years old, it says they went up there and he went with them. Now, I want you to understand something. For a Jewish man, Jewish boy, when you got 13 years old, that was a big age. Because you went through a thing called the bar mitzvah. Bar mitzvah, bar is from an Aramaic word which means son. Mitzvah means commandments. The bar mitzvah is when you become a son of the commandments. You are now considered old enough to obey the law on your own. So when you got 13 years old and you had your bar mitzvah, you were considered a man. Jesus is 12. The next year, he'll be bar mitzvahed and he'll be considered a man. And what they would do a lot of times is when their sons were 11 and 12 years old, they would take them to Jerusalem, getting them ready for the day that they would be bar mitzvahed and become a man. And so here's Jesus, 12 years old. You can see Joseph saying, now next year, just remember what's going to happen. You're going to be bar mitzvahed. You can see Jesus saying, I know I wrote it. But anyway, uh, you know. Uh, But when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. Now, something you need to remember. Galatians 4.4. In the fullness of time, God brought forth his son, born of a woman, born under law. Jesus lived his whole life under the Mosaic law. 
Mosaic law, there were 613 commandments under the Mosaic law. No human being, no regular human being ever kept the law. In fact, the purpose of the law was to show us that we can't keep it. Jesus is the only human being, the God-man, who kept the law perfectly because he never sinned. So from the time that he, all of his life, he is the only one that has ever kept the law. Now the Bible says he fulfilled the law. He fulfilled it by keeping it. He also fulfilled it by paying the, the penalty. The wages of sin is death. Jesus Christ died for us. Well, watch what happens. They're going to go down there. Verse 42, it says, then they became, when he became 12, they went up from there according to the custom of the feast. Now, they would leave their houses, and they would go as families, and as they started, they would get caravans, and there'd be other people, and there'd be this big group of people all going to Jerusalem, because they're all, and they're like, and they would stop along the way, and they would eat, and they would talk, and they would dance, and they would sing, and they would sing some of the psalms, and, and they did this as groups, because it's protection. You know, if you're by yourself, a robber's gonna get you, but if there's a whole bunch of people traveling, you're safe, and so that's how they would do it. They would all travel down there together. So you can picture Jesus, and, and his whole family, and everybody, and they're all down there, and you know, they stop for the night, and, and, and Mary may go, where, I wonder who Jesus is playing with. Where is he? Have you all seen him? Oh, he's over there. And, and so they get to Jerusalem, and then notice what happens. Verse 43. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it. Now, there's several things I just want you to see in this verse. It says they decided to leave. They spent the full number of days. As I said, there's a feast that started on the 14th day, Passover, then 15 through 21, unleavened bread, then first fruits. Some people would go and they would stay for Passover and maybe the first couple of days and then leave. It says here that they stayed the whole time. They stayed all eight days, basically. And when the full days, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents weren't aware of it. They supposed him to be in the caravan, and they went a day's journey, and then they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. You can say they all left, and as they're traveling, they're saying, where's, where's Jesus? Oh, he's, he's probably with some of our friends or some of our relatives, you know. And when they got there that first night, and they set up camp, and they're ready to eat, she's saying, where, where is he? You can see she's worried. She's lost the Son of God. I mean, you know, so he, you know, she's going, where could he be? What's going on? And so they're talking, and, and they finally go over to the relatives, and they say, have y'all seen him? Did you, was he traveling with y'all? No, he's not. We thought he was with you. And they go to their acquaintances. Have y'all seen him? No. So what are they going to do? They're going to have to go back. And so what, is, what does it say? It says, when they did not find him, verse 45, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. You know they're worried. And watch then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. Now, after three days, one day out, one day back, and then one day looking for him, they found him in the temple. Now, you know that the temple proper, I said, when you go in the big gate of the temple and there's all this stuff, there's all these meeting places and all these courts. And sometimes people like rabbis, teachers, would sit down and they would teach and people would come up and sit among them and they would, they would teach and their disciples would sit at their feet and these rabbis would teach. Well, they find Jesus at the temple in some of these meetings. Notice what it says. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. Now, when they got there, Jesus wasn't sitting in the back of the area. He was in the middle, and the teachers were around him, which is very unusual if you're a 12-year-old boy. And notice what it says. He was listening and asking them questions. 
asking them questions. You know, he wrote it all. He knows it all. And there are ways that you can ask questions. He would say things like, uh, well, did not the Messiah have to do this? Did not the prophet say this? Why do you think this is this? And those, those, those religious leaders were going, who, who is this boy? How does he know these things? How can he ask these kind of questions? And then notice the next verse. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. He was answering some of the questions. And I guarantee you they were going, how could he possibly know this? There is no way that a 12-year-old boy could even know this. He wrote it all. He knows it all. He knows the end from the beginning. Notice something. Look, look at verse 47. It says, All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. The Greek word for amazed is a real strong word. It actually means to stand outside of yourself. It means like you're here and then you go, Whoa, I'm beside myself. That's what it means. And it's like they're so shocked that they're going, how could he know this? Jesus at age 12 shows that he understands the word of God. That he knows how it goes together. Because he wrote it. Now Luke wants us to show, wants you to understand something. Did he know who he was? As a 12-year-old boy, did he know he was the Son of God? Did he know he was the Savior? Did he know he was the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world? Did he know? Well, watch. Verse 48. Here's his mom and daddy. When they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. She gets back and she says, Son, we've been looking all over. We're worried sick. Why have you treated us this way? Now, notice what she says. Your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. You know what Jesus could say? He's not my father. I'm here with my father. Notice, and he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's, and my New American Standard, what's the word house in italics, He says, didn't you know I had to be here? I want you to understand something. Literally the Greek, here's what it says. It is necessary to do my father's thing. That's what it says. It doesn't say, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? That's not what it says, literally. It literally says, it is necessary to do my father's thing. What were the things of the Father? He's saying, why would would you be looking for me? Don't you know it's necessary for me to do the things of the Father? What were the things of the Father? Well, he came to seek and save those who were lost. He came to give his life as a ransom. He came to teach and to heal and to do the signs and the miracles. He came to die and rise again and pay for sin. He came to serve, not to be served. He actually said, I must preach, I must suffer, I must be lifted up. He says, why are you looking for me? Didn't you know that i am got to be doing my father's stuff? See, because Joseph isn't his father. It was necessary. Now, let me tell you something for us. It is necessary that each one of us in this room do our father's stuff. 
Now, when you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, you're a child of God. John 1.12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name. What is the Father's things that you are to do, that, that we are to do? Well, the Bible tells us, I think it should be coming up any time, it is to make disciples. Matthew 28.18-20, we're to make disciples. That's evangelism and training. Jesus came up and spoke, saying, All authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all which I have commanded. Making disciples includes two parts, evangelism and training. The evangelism is sharing the good news, Romans 1.16, where he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. We're to share our faith. That's part one of making disciples. Part two is the training, which I think is the next slide, help believers grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4.12, equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. It is your responsibility and it is my responsibility as children of God to do the things that it is necessary for us to do the things of the Father. The things of the Father are to make disciples. That is leading people to Christ, telling them about Jesus, and then training them and equipping them so they can do the same thing. That's our responsibility. That's the responsibility of every one of us in this room who know Christ. So if you say, well, I, I don't, what am I supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? You're to lead people to Christ and then train them. You must know the message and you must know the word. So that you can lead people to Christ and train them and equip them. As Jesus said, didn't you know I'd be about my father's stuff? I'd be doing what my father wanted me to do. We need to do the same thing. Watch verse 50. Look what they say. They did not understand the statement which he made to them. They didn't get it. Now we look at them and go, why don't y'all get it? Let me tell you, if you were there, you know what we'd be doing? We'd be going, what is he, what is he talking about? See, we got the whole Bible. We got the whole thing. We got it put together. We understand. They didn't. Now watch what happens. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in, in her heart. It says he went down. I want you to understand something just for you can see the Bible. Anytime you go to Jerusalem, whether it's north, south, east, or west, biblically, you always go up to Jerusalem. And when you leave Jerusalem, it doesn't matter whether you're going north, south, or east, or west, you always go down from Jerusalem. It's the holy city. And that's why it's that way. That's why it says they went down. He went down with them to Nazareth. Nazareth is north from Jerusalem, but you go down because it's the holy city. And, and he was in subjection to them, and his mother treasured all these things in her heart. She treasured what the angel said, and Elizabeth, and the shepherds, and Simeon, and Anna, and the teachers, and even what Jesus said. She treasured all of these things. He gives us a summary statement at the end, and Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. He grew in, in wisdom, and he grew in, in height, and people looked at this young man, and they would say, there's Boy, that guy is really, really, really special. How would you like to be one of his brothers, half-brothers? Mark chapter 6, verse 3 has four brothers and then sisters. How would you like to grow up with your older brother who never sinned? They did not believe that he was the Messiah until after his death and resurrection. His brothers did not. Then they did. James is one of them. Jude's one of them. The book of James is written by one of Jesus' half-brothers. The book of Jude is written by one of Jesus' half-brothers. Next time, we're going to skip ahead. Well, when I say skip ahead, we get to chapter 3. All of a sudden, Jesus is now 30 years old. And we see the beginning of the ministry. Let me give you some applications. We'll close. The first one is this. Just remember that God is working in all events. Trust God. He was working in Simeon's life, Anna's life. They were at the right place at the right time. I want you to understand something. A, 
that God will not let you miss anything. If you're sitting there saying, what if I miss the one I'm supposed to marry? You are not going to miss that person. What if I miss the job? What if I miss where I'm supposed to be? You are not going to miss it. God is working in your life. He's the sovereign ruler. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. If you got Simeon in the right place and Anne in the right place, I guarantee you he's going to have you in the right place at the right time. Don't worry about it. Trust him. This is two. Trust his plan and his word. Trust him. He deals with us in grace, how he protected Jesus, got him to Egypt, got him back, takes care of them, protected the wise men. He always does what he says. He deals with us in grace. So trust in him and Rest in him. Number two, realize that Jesus Christ is the Redeemer. That's what she said. The idea that he is the Redeemer and the Savior. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He died on the cross to pay for our sins. He has redeemed us and set us free. And when you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, you're a child of God and you're set free to serve him. And that takes us to number three. Realize, let us be about the things of the Father. That's making disciples. Let's do what he has for us to do. Just like Jesus said, I have to be doing what the Father has for me to do. We have to be doing what the Father has for us to do. Making disciples two parts. Number one, evangelism. Know how to share your faith. Be ready to give an answer, Romans 1.16. And number two, the second part, is know the words so you can teach others. Be ready to do what your Father has for you to do. May we trust our God who works all things according to the counsel of his will. May we fulfill his plan, making disciples as we proclaim that Jesus Christ is the Savior and the Redeemer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for these great truths. Lord, we realize that you work all things. You're not going to let us miss anything. You are working in our lives. You're the sovereign ruler. Thank you, Lord. May we trust you. May we trust your plan. Knowing that you deal with us in grace, may we rest in you. Lord, we know that Jesus is the Redeemer. He died on the cross. He paid for sin. He purchased us and set us free. Thank you, Lord, for that. So may we be about the things of the Father when we make disciples. May we share our faith and may we and train and equip others to do the same thing. Lord, thank you for this passage. And and help us, Lord, as we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.